The state and local primary elections are right around the corner, and the national one is in November. What's the church's role in this? We'll look back on Encuentro, the work of Focus 11, and the call to the priesthood for Bishop Parks. These topics and more on this best of edition of A View from the Top. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Sports as we know it has been shut down for the past four months, but things are beginning to open back up. Bishop Parks reflects on this new start. Tell you what, I'm, I'm always, uh, as you know, a very hopeful person, very positive person, so I always at the beginning of the season have a lot of hope for whatever teams I root for, whether that's the, uh, the Buccaneers or for the Seminoles, <laughs> right. for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays in this case. And boy, if they can approach what they did last year and even exceed that, it should be a great season for them. Unfortunately, John, you know, they're, they're in a tough division with the, yeah, with the Yankees. Yankees and the Red Sox. And, right, right. Uh, so that, that's kind of a challenge that they have to face each year. But, but look at our lightning. You know, oh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are having a great season, and hopefully that'll come to an even better end That's uh, right. with the Stanley Cup. And, you know, you have to always have good, have good wishes and good hopes for the team. The Supreme Court recently ruled on the DACA regulations. In this segment, recorded in March 2018, Bishop Parks talks about the purpose for Encuentro and the hopes for DACA. What are some of the things you say we've been blessed, one or two of those many things here in our diocese that are really moving well as you see them? Well, I would say that as I travel around the diocese and I have the opportunity to visit our parishes, I see many parishes that are alive, alive with ministry. Boy, I was in a parish the other evening, St. Timothy Parish up in Lutz, uh, spent the evening with them, and just a very, very welcoming, uh, energetic parish that has so much going on for the so many ways for the faithful to connect to the faith and to their fellow uh, Catholics. So, uh, I would say that's just an example of one, but there's many. Also, uh, just visiting our schools, our, our Catholic schools here in the diocese, uh, we're blessed with uh, with great teachers and staff. And, um, you know, just wonderful students that I've had the opportunity to meet over the past year. Now, you were down in Miami just recently for an Encuentro uh, meeting and gathering. Tell us what Encuentro is and what all that's about. Well, the word Encuentro is a a Spanish word, which means encounter. And uh, this is a national process. Uh, It's not something new, actually. This is the the fifth Encuentro that we're engaged in right now. The last one, uh, the fourth Encuentro, was held back in the year 2000. And what it is is kind of a, a, say, a bottom-up process of engaging individuals from the diocese faithful, both who are uh, of Spanish-speaking origin, uh, Latino origin, as well as Anglo, uh, and really looking at our faith and how we can re-energize the faith and how we can evangelize uh, to invite others to experience the beauty of our faith. Uh, Another major goal of the Encuentro would be to develop and to inspire leaders uh, going forward. 
uh, again, who can lead that process of spreading the faith and engaging others. So um, when I say it was a bottom-up process, we started out by having parish encuentros here in the diocese, and then we had a a diocesan encuentro. And as you just mentioned, uh, I just returned from Miami from the regional encuentro, and that included dioceses from all over the southeastern United States. Uh, There were several hundred delegates there from all these different dioceses, for uh, three days, which included time for mass, for prayer, and for general sessions. Do you think we're at, at, at some point, and I know it's ongoing uh, because there'll be a, then a national one, I guess, a big national gathering. From that top, will we see a trickle down to the bottom to see really the fruits of these meetings? That's the hope, and that's the expectation. Uh, you're correct. Later this year, in September, the National Enquentro, the, the fifth Enquentro, will be held in Grapevine, Texas. And um, I'm planning on being there myself. I'm uh, assuming that's a big town. <laughs> it's, uh, it is pretty big, actually. It's uh, in the Diocese of Fort Worth, okay. and uh, it's going to be held, I, I believe, at a large uh, convention hotel there. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. Grapevine doesn't sound like a metropolis, but they've got no. it. If it's a national event, they've got to have room to <laughs> It is. It is. So they uh, they'll, they'll have adequate space for us to meet and to pray and and obviously to celebrate a mass. Uh, but yeah, the the hope and expectation would be that after the national encuentro, that the process will then come back to the diocese to be implemented throughout the diocese and and through our local parishes. Being that it's a uh, both English and Hispanic gathering with the word encuentro. Uh, and you being in Miami this past week, when you weren't in your in your meetings of evangelization, did DACA come up at all in conversation? And where are we with that? Well, John, it it seems like almost everywhere I go these days that that is a topic among Catholics and and people that do follow the news. Uh, as you're well aware, we're we're reaching a deadline. Uh, March fifth is when that DACA status is set to expire unless Congress acts and uh, tries to find a a bipartisan permanent solution to the dreamers, uh, to these children who came to this country uh, when they were very young. This is their home. This is really where they grew up, have grown up. This is where they went to school. This is where they're working. And um, they desire to stay here and and to be productive members of our, our, our society. And so we've urged Congress to to act on this issue, that we can try to remove the fear that they have, the anxiety, and that they might, again, be able to remain here, and ultimately to provide a path to citizenship for them. Uh, This past week, we had a a day where everyone was to call their representatives. Do these kind of grassroots efforts lead to changes that you see? Well, we hope that they do. Um, You're right. We had a national call-in day this week on Monday. And I, I did call in myself. I called both Senator Nelson's office, Senator Rubio, uh, as well as our representative, Charlie Crist, to urge them to act on this issue. And uh, the idea is that the more uh, individuals that we can have calling in and urging our Congress to act, uh, that it will have a positive result. You know, the, the, those that we elect are there to serve us. And we have a right to let them know what we hope and expect them to do. There are, there are individuals right here in our own churches uh, with families that could potentially be broken up. And in fact, uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Times ran a story not too long ago on one of our own priests. That's correct, John. And, and you're very right in saying that oftentimes when we speak about these issues like DACA 
immigration, what we hear are numbers. You know, that there are 800,000 DACA, 1,800,000 Dreamers. But we don't put a face to those individuals. It's just a number. It's a statistic. When you actually meet those that currently have the, the DACA status, you know, you get to know them and you listen to their stories. I, even in our own diocese here, I've had the opportunity to meet with individuals uh, who, who are current DACA status and to get to know them. And as you said, even one of our priests here in our diocese, Father Felipe Gonzalez, who's a parochial vicar at Nativity Parish in Brandon, is DACA. And uh, he's a fine priest, you know, and uh, the thought of having to lose him because of his status or lack of status uh, to stay in this country, I think would be a great loss for us. Do we have any seminarians or are there seminarians studying at our universities that are in seminaries that are in that same boat? I'm not aware of any of our current seminarians here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. I would suspect that there are some around the country, uh, perhaps even here in the state, that would be DACA. Obviously, we, we want to try to ordain individuals that would have a more permanent status where they wouldn't be wondering every year or every couple years whether they're going to be able to remain here. Mm-hmm. So we would normally try to accept candidates into the seminary who we would be, have some assurance that they would be able to remain here and serve as a priest for a long time. In the next segments recorded in July 2018, Bishop Parks addresses the role of clergy at political rallies. Following that, Bishop Parks in 2019 addressed the possibilities for canonical punishments for politicians who consistently and consciously violate the teachings of the church. Now, oftentimes, the church takes a stand on issues, not so much the politician, it's himself or herself. And recently, we saw some priests in a, in a diocese across the country at a political rally. And they got some flat because they were wearing their collars. Now, I was taught that the priests, when they're out, should always wear their collars. So where do we draw the line, and, and how should we interpret that? Yeah, we, we are called as church to be engaged in the political realm. However, we also have to bear in mind that as a bishop and as a priest, when I speak on political issues, I'm speaking on behalf of the church. And so these four priests that you're referring to out in Montana attended a a rally at which President Trump was present, and they were seated right in the front row. So they had a very, very prominent position that they could be seen on TV. From what I understand, the priest said that they did not know that that's where they were going to be seated, Mm -hmm. but they agreed to be seated there. And there was quite a bit of um, negative feedback about their presence there and their demeanor during the rally. Their bishop put out a statement saying that he would address it with the priests and just to remind them that though clerical dress is what priests wear, when we're at political events that people see us and the interpretation is that you're there speaking on behalf of the church. So we always have to bear that in mind. Do you as a bishop here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg have to remind your priest of that? We do. Um, We put out guidelines through the Florida Catholic Conference on engaging in political activities and the different types of activities that can take place in our parishes. So, for example, one of the things we do is to provide voter registration each year at many of our parishes as a way of assisting individuals to engage in the voting process. But what we're not permitted to do is to endorse a particular candidate 
a politician, or even invite a particular candidate to come to our churches to speak. That would be in violation of, um, uh, of the laws for us as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. What about at the seminary? Is any of this taught at the seminary to the seminarians to kind of be on guard for this kind of thing? Or does the instructor say, here's an example this is what to do and what not to do. Well, we teach our, our seminarians about ethics. Uh, that's one area that they do study and that we do try to form them in, as well as communication skills. But probably it's not one of the areas that's most emphasized in their formation. Mm-hmm. I would say much more of that training takes place once they're actually in the diocese, serving as a deacon or serving as a priest that we do remind them of, of guidelines or things to be aware of when they are speaking with the media or making public comments. So Governor Cuomo has signed this into law. Supposedly he's Catholic. A lot of people are saying he should be excommunicated. What's your, what's your stance on that? And what does excommunication mean? Sure, John. And I, I've, I've heard the same thing, that there's been an outcry by Catholics that he should be excommunicated. And that word is used quite often, but maybe not always understood properly. Excommunication is a a canonical declaration which publicly recognizes somebody as being not in communion with the church because of some action that they've committed or some teaching that they have publicly opposed, and so the church imposes this upon them. They are prevented from receiving the sacraments of our faith, and so they're prevented from receiving God's grace, which we all need so much in our lives. But the purpose of excommunication is less punitive, and more what we would say medicinal. So by that I mean that it's meant to bring about conversion of heart, of mind and heart, for the person who is sinning against the church or publicly refuting a teaching of the church, as in this case, promoting abortion publicly and celebrating it. So it's meant to bring about a change within that person. That's the main goal. Now, As Bishop of St. Petersburg, I don't have the authority here to excommunicate Governor Cuomo in New York. Since he is a a resident there in New York, he's the governor, it would be up to the Archdiocese of New York to take that step. And I know that that's something that they have discerned and weighed and um, are not currently taking that step. What about like the reception of communion? Let's say the Holy Father comes to New York, which has happened before, and these politicians who really aren't practicing, but to be seen on the stage with the Holy Father or with an archbishop or cardinal, they go to receive, and they're not exactly clean going up there, you know what I mean? Yeah. First of all, John, uh, of course, when anybody comes up to commune to receive the Eucharist on Sunday or daily Mass, we don't know what the disposition of their soul is or their heart. I mean, just to use an extreme example, they may have just gone to confession prior to going to Mass and repented of whatever whatever public sin they may have committed or whatnot. So uh, just mention that. But normally in cases that would be high profile, it would be advisable not to make a scene at, at a public liturgy, but rather to speak with the individual before Mass or outside of Mass in a pastoral way and explain to them why it would not be appropriate for them to receive the Eucharist and why that would be a contradiction to the life that they're living and and what they're professing. Do you think these politicians, they believe one thing in their heart maybe, but do things because of the vote or because of the public pressure? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, we're talking about Governor Cuomo. His father, of course, Mario Cuomo, was, uh, I believe, governor of New York as well a number of decades ago. 
And he was famous for saying, while I'm personally against such and such, um, I have to uphold the law. And that's how he rationalized his ability to act contrary to what his faith might be. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, they are politicians, even here in Florida, you know, with the with the death penalty, with capital punishment. Politicians want to come off seeming very tough on crime, and we should be, but we don't support as a church the death penalty. But yet politically, they know that that would be suicide. Right, right. Uh, that'd be like touching the third rail of politics if they were to publicly come out against the death penalty, because most people see that as being deserved and, and being tough on crime. As you know, Catholics in the pew that are in Florida, what can we do to help remedy this? Well, as, I, as I've said before, I think the most powerful thing we can do is use our freedom to vote. We need to put legislators, governors, mayors, you know, our congresspeople, senators, congressmen and women into office who are pro-life. That's why I always stress that before you go into the voting booth, check to see what somebody's stance is on life issues. I'm not going to say that's the only issue we should look at, but John, I will say for me, just speaking for myself, that's the most important issue. Because if we fail to protect life at its most innocent and vulnerable stage in the womb, what guarantee is that life will be protected at any stage? Whether you're somebody who's dealing with a physical disability, a handicap, somebody who is uh, growing older, late in life, somebody who has an illness, you know, euthanasia, and, and, and so forth, physician-assisted suicide, any of these issues. If we, if we won't protect an innocent child, what guarantee is that anybody will be protected? In February of 2018, Bishop Park shared his thoughts on Focus 11 and later his call to the priesthood. Focus 11 is, a, is a, an awesome ministry. The name Focus 11, 11 comes from the age uh, of the children that we invite to this particular day. It's a vocational discernment day. And what we do here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg is over a two-day period, we invite all of our sixth graders from our Catholic schools from around the diocese to come to, this, in this case, St. Lawrence Parish in Tampa, and we provide various vocational opportunities to them. So they learn about being a priest, what that's like. We also invite religious sisters to come and to talk about religious life. We even have religious brothers there because that's another vocational alternative. And then we speak to them about the vocation of marriage and other vocations that God might be calling them to. I always have the blessing of visiting with them for uh, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. I share a little bit about my own vocation story and uh, give them the opportunity to ask me as the bishop some questions. And uh, they, they often have some interesting ones. Yeah, what, I was going to ask, what's some of the <laughs> one's most memorable questions? Well, besides the, the normal things, like how tall am I because I'm six foot eight. Right. Uh, but some of them will ask, you know, uh, what, when you found out that you were uh, going to be a bishop, what did you think? Uh, what is your average, like what's a typical day for you as bishop? Those, those kind of questions. So, so some of them are interesting, uh, but uh, mainly it's uh, more about what your life is like as a priest and a bishop. Mm -hmm. For you, when did you know that you felt like you had a call to the priesthood? I would say, uh, you know, I, John, I thought about it uh, from a pretty early age, maybe the time I was in second grade. So that young, about eight years old. Mm -hmm. I went to Catholic school and uh, you know, was exposed to priests, and we always had priests that were friends with our family. My pa family was very involved in our parish church. 
Uh, we were as children, you know, as altar servers and youth group members and so forth. So I would say from a pretty young age, but then didn't think a whole lot about it during high school and uh, certainly not during college. Mm-hmm. Uh, during those years, I, sure. I think my mind was on other pursuits. <laughs> but, uh, you know, once I was uh, out of college and, and working in business after graduating, that I, this whole idea about becoming a priest just kept coming back to me. Did you keep it like to yourself or did you express it with your mom and dad at, at a young age? No, in fact, uh, I did, uh, didn't keep it to myself. My, uh, my parents often thought when I was a child that I did have a call to be a priest. And then once I became an adult, I think they still thought I had a call and was just maybe in a little bit of denial <laughs> about it. But uh, I realized that this feeling that I had in my heart uh, and in my soul, that this is what the Lord was calling me to, uh, just wouldn't go away. And uh, it was something that I had to, to pray about and had to deal with. And ultimately, it led me to the realization that this is what God was calling me to do with my life. Are you younger or older than Stephen? Uh, Stephen is a year younger than I am. And that's your brother. My brother Stephen, he's uh, also a priest uh, in the Diocese of Orlando. He entered the seminary a year before I did. So he's my younger brother by a year, age-wise, but my older brother in the priesthood by a year. And you outrank him a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think uh, when he entered the seminary and he had a very good experience, I think I said to myself, well, if my younger brother can do it, I can do it too. Did you guys as teenagers ever talk about that? Not too much. Again, during high school and during college, my mind was on other things and things I thought I wanted to do with Mm -hmm. my life. Stephen was actually a little bit more of a surprise he didn't speak as much when he was a child about being a priest. It wasn't until he was also out of college and working in business uh, that the whole idea came to him. Part of the reason I'm asking you this, obviously people are curious about your call. Uh, some parents may not be too keen on their, their sons becoming priests. And yet if, if a child is exhibiting that, how does how that reconciled in the family? How do you, what is, and what does the church say about that? Well, We, of course, would hope that parents would want the best for their child. What we would say is that would be be what God wants for them. So we would hope that that parents would uh, support a a child's decision to become a priest or a brother, uh, religious, and even to encourage them to, to think about that as a possible vocation, that God could be possibly calling them to serve him in that way. I have spoken with parents, you know, that are a little bit concerned, uh, uh, either that or they they want a lot of grandchildren, and right. you know, so they have some very personal reasons for not wanting a, their child to become a priest or religious. But again, I think most parents want their children to be happy, and um, I believe, and we believe that we're most happy when we do God's will. Do you recall people coming up to you outside of your mom and dad saying, "Greg, you'd be a great priest." <laughs> I did. As a child, I think a lot of our family friends kind of saw that in me. And yeah. in fact, uh, to share a little story with you, mm-hmm. when I was in eighth grade, uh, graduated from Catholic school, we had these little autograph books that the you know you sign with your classmates and we exchange them sure. and write messages and so forth. One of my uh, mom's friends uh, wrote in my book, she said, uh, Greg, she said, I, I know that one day you'll, you'll achieve your life's goal, which is to be a priest. How about so that, that was in eighth grade, and I still have that book, and uh, uh, it was kind of prophetic. I don't think anybody predicted or said I'd be a bishop, so that was a little, <laughs> that was a little bit of a surprise, but the, the priest part was not. 
Bishop, we're about all out of time here, but I do want to remind our listeners that if they'd like to hear this program again or those we've recorded in the past, you can visit our diocesan website at dosp.org. You can also subscribe to this program free of charge by going to Stitcher or to your Apple podcast to subscribe. Just type in Bishop Parks right there in the search bar. You can also get the Bishop's weekly scripture reflections from his program, An Invitation to Worship, so be sure to check those out as well. And don't forget to follow Bishop Parks on his travels around the diocese on social media on his award-winning Facebook page, Bishop Gregory L. Parks. Is uh, You can type that in. You're on Instagram also? I am. I'm on Instagram at, at Bishop Parks, and that's Parks with an E-S at the end. Right. Uh, and then also on Twitter as well, at Bishop Parks. Finally, if you have a question for Bishop Parks that you'd like to ask, you'd like me to ask for you on this program, you can simply shoot me an email at contact at myspiritfm.com. We'll be sure to get that out there. Bishop, can we close with your blessing for our listeners? Of course. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings which you have bestowed upon us. We ask for an outpouring of your Spirit that you may lead us and guide us on our path, that through our words, our thoughts, and our actions, that we may courageously live the gospel and we may continue to grow in our relationship with you and with your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.